Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, we've been talking about the parables, the parables of Jesus, stories from another world. And the parable this morning is from Matthew chapter 20, and I'm going to read it for us. And I'm going to start with verse 30 of chapter 19. Jesus says, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius. That's the typical wage for a day's work. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever's right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around, and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. And they said, these who were hired last worked only one hour. They said, and you've made them equal to us who borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And then he ends by saying, so the last will be first. And the first will be last. So I really want you to hear Jesus. And I'm going to blab on and on here for a little bit with my observations. But I want you to hear Jesus. We have to get to what Jesus says. Now, I was thinking about this passage. I see, I see a lot of envy and I see jealousy in this, in this reaction. And, uh, you know, envy and jealousy, are, they're different. They're not the same. Envy is when you want something that someone else has. And jealousy is when you're afraid you're going to lose something that you already have. Primarily a relationship with another person. It takes three. 
where we're afraid we're going to lose this person to that person. And uh, I, I was thinking about this because I was working on this sermon last weekend, and uh, it was the 4th of July. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's ironic that this is a day we celebrate freedom. And I don't know about you, but I found myself in this predicament where I happened to open up Instagram, and I saw your 4th of July celebrations. And I became envious. And, you know, I sort of tracked that down, and I, I am a bit of an academic journal nerd, and I started researching what the academic journals say about what was happening to me. And there's keywords that are used, like uh, uh, this is an actual academic keyword, social media stalking. And some of you do it all the time. You scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll, and you find out everything that's happening in the universe, but you don't respond to one single person. And then there's social media comparison. That's another, that's another key word, social media comparison. When we, when we begin to compare our lives to the lives of everyone else, which is, which, is, which is tragic because usually what people post, right? Let's be honest. It's a highly curated we don't, we don't put the bad photos. In fact, if someone else takes a picture at a party that we're at and we're in that picture and we don't like that picture of ourselves, we're like, oh, man, take that down. Social media comparison. It's, it's unavoidable. It's built into the system. And all the academic research says that it oftentimes leads to envy and it makes us feel badly about ourselves. Isn't that ironic when we're supposed to be celebrating freedom? Some of us probably experience moments of not being free at all, free from envy and from this comparison. I think that's part of what's happening in this parable. Brene Brown says this about envy and jealousy and comparison. She says, comparison is the crush of conformity from one side and competition from another side. It's trying simultaneously to fit in and also to stand out. It's like this. Be like everyone else, but better. That's a dark hole that will never be satisfied, especially not on social media. So a reminder about parables. Um, parables are to help us understand this new world that Jesus has launched and inaugurated by coming onto the scene saying, the kingdom of God is now among you. And it's to help us understand what is, what is life like in the kingdom as followers of Jesus, as words and ways. We want to understand what is this alternative world, this, this new world that we've been invited into with sometimes counterintuitive values and, and ideas and behaviors. And in one sense, parables are told for a couple different reasons. One is to recalibrate our priorities. And so we hear this parable, and we have the opportunity to sit. It's like a vacation. When you, when you take vacation, and you get out of your normal life, the workaday world, and you go, oh, yeah, I've forgotten what I really, what I really enjoy and what, what's really important to me. That's what parables are for. Parables also... The way Jesus used them was oftentimes to pick a fight. You know Jesus picked a lot of fights. 
It's like, come on, let's go. And he would tell a story, and this story is poking at some people. And then third, really most importantly, parables. Parables are here reserved in the New Testament, the scriptures for us to move us to action. Not just to listen and go, oh, that's interesting, but to say, hey, what, what is Jesus prompting me to do? And so that's my prayer for each of us this morning, that we would be prompted to action. So the parable starts with the word for. It's a connector word, so it's tying it to that verse in chapter 19. In fact, it's this parable is reflecting on all of chapter 19, and you can deal with that another time. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And I think, it seems to me that this parable is primarily focused on the first, the ADM workers. And it's got a surprising twist in its... In its uh, sort of revelation about what, the, what Jesus wants the 8 a.m. workers to know about the 5 p.m. workers. And I know this crowd, there's a bunch of 8 a.m. workers. Like, you've been following Jesus for a long time, and you've borne the heat of the day. And there's some 5 p.m. workers in the crowd. It's so fantastic. Like, you're like, oh, okay, this is so new. I don't even know what you're doing up there and what you're talking about, but hey, you're a 5 p.m. worker, and this parable is for you as well. So he really focuses on the 8 a.m. workers, and three words kind of stood out to me. And Maybe you heard them. If you have the text open, you can see it, but, but three words kind of stood out to me from his story, and I think they build on each other. The first one is expectations. The second is grumbling, and the third is envy. So it starts with expectations, moves to grumbling, and then lands on envy and a lot of unhappiness. So in verse 10, he talks about these expectations. Really, I think, actually, we might say he's talking about unmet expectations. Because expectations are not bad. We live with them all the time. We had expectations for coming down this morning. We had expectations about where we'd find a parking spot. We're ha we have expectations about the lunch that we'll have afterwards and the person that we're going to see. But sometimes we paint a picture in our head about the way we expect life is supposed to work, how it's supposed to happen, what we deserve. And when we put those expectations up there, it's almost always inevitable that there's the chance that we're going to be deeply disappointed. And you think about that. Things that you wanted from another person, and you expected it, and you go, I'm a fool. I was tricked, and I'm really mad. I'm disappointed in that. In this case, I think the expectations came with entitlement. We live with a lot of entitlement in our world today. You know, I, I earned this. I, I deserve this. Look at my record. Like, I put in the hard work. So I'm entitled to X, Y, Z. They said, we, we have borne the heat of the day. And what is going on here? I'm entitled to more than a denarius. So the foreman hands out the pay, and ironically, the parable says start with the 5 p.m. workers, they, those people that work really one, one hour. They just went out. They, just, they barely broke a sweat. They had no, no, no scratches. Their back wasn't sore. 
and he's handing out the pay, and they get a full day's pay for nothing. It created an expectation inside the 8 a.m. workers. And, and wouldn't you have, I, I would, I would have the exact same expectation. This is sweet. I love it that he gave them a denarius because that's likely to mean I'm going to make a lot more than I thought. And they got a denarius. So their expectations turned into something ugly. That's the problem. The unmet expectation created disappointment, and it, 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 brought out, it brought out an ugliness that was deep inside of their heart. So that unmet expectation led to what? It led to grumbling. You see that in the story that when they were paid a grumble, it says that, uh, when they were paid a denarius, ha, <laughs> grumble. You know, it's funny. The, the word grumble, it's, um, it's a Greek word, Egonzagon, and it's, it's an onomatopoeia. It, it sounds like grumbling. To say that. Egonzagon. Say it out loud. Egon, and if you, if you just kept on saying it, it, would, it it's, this, it's this mumbling, it's this grumbling, and, um, and it's not very good. They were not only dissatisfied with what they received, they were bummed out at what the 5 p.m. workers received. You see that? It's not enough that they just wanted more money. They were just kind of griping and grumbling that, that those 5 p.m. workers got it off so good. They didn't, they didn't want them to have that. And it shows us that they were grumbling at the landowner. Who's the landowner in this parable? Well, the landowner is Jesus. And, uh, you know, I think about that. I think about the reality that it's possible to have been a Christian for a really, really long time. And to have gotten into the habit of having a critical spirit. Of, of, of getting in the habit of grumbling a lot. Of being sort of hypercritical of other Christians. And, you know, it's, it's so un-Jesus-like that the longer we walk with him and join his grace, his forgiveness, the good news of the gospel, that we would grow increasingly more bitter. And I'll tell you, sometimes people have been part of the church for a really long time. And they're just unpleasant to be with. They're negative and critical and always complaining. I think in one sense, they were wrestling with fairness. Like, this isn't fair. Have you ever heard your kids say that? It's just not fair, you know? And we, we have this inborn desire for things to be fair. I do. And uh, when I was a young youth pastor, I was leading a high school mountaineering trip, and I had a very, very serious life-altering accident that changed my life from that point on. And it's always been a marker in my life of God's rescue. He saved me. But I lost a lot. 
And uh, it's a great story, you know? So I got a good story out of it, but a lot of pain. So I lived with that most of my life. And then a couple years ago, my wife died. And I can remember in some really dark days, like bitter, grumbling, complaining. Now, I know a lot of it was really good lament with God, but boy, it, it was bordering, teetering right into bitterness. And I can remember one time saying to God, God, wasn't my accident enough? Like, really? It was almost as if, God, you kind of owe me. You, you allowed that. You took me through that, and I was faithful to you. I hung in there. And now, now, easy to get bitter. For our circumstances to lead us down a path where we grumble more and more at the landowner. I've learned something. Until we mature to the place where we discover and can acknowledge that life is not fair. We will always be susceptible to grumbling at God and developing bitterness in our heart. Because my friends, if you haven't discovered it, life's not fair. <laughs> we don't always get what we deserve. We don't always get what we think we want. And our plans can go this direction and all of a sudden they take a really sharp U-turn. Once we understand that life's not fair, but God is good, it makes a big difference. So their expectations turned into grumbling, and grumbling then landed in envy. You see it in verse 15. He says to those 8 a.m. workers, are you envious because I'm generous? Isn't that a great line? Are you envious because I'm so generous to you and to them? They're saying I want what you gave them. I don't want them to have it. This envy was a kind of envy that had hostility built into it. Anger and wanting ill will to happen to the 5 p.m. workers. And maybe in a sense, kind of a, a bit of anger about the exclusive relationship they felt they had earned with the landowner. Like, I like my position in this relationship. I like being first. I like being number one. I, I, like, being, I like having access to, uh, to the benefits of the landowner. And I'm, I'm a little jealous, a little envious, maybe even a little angry at others that are coming and upsetting what I've got going on. And for those who are 8 a.m. workers like myself, um, you can experience that sometimes when, when we turn the church into a club. <clears throat> like, this, this, is, this is our club. And, you know, if those other people come, it's going it's gonna to upset how things operate here and my access to other people. There's always a transition in a church. As the church gets older, and the beauty of young leaders coming up, 
It's just an exciting opportunity, but it always brings change. And sometimes the 8 a.m. workers at a church, they, they, they want to hold on to that. The word envy, envious, it actually means an evil eye. Jesus is, is saying, the landowner is saying, do you have evil in your eye? This hostility toward the 5 p.m. workers? Or it's a, it's a stingy eye. Do you have a stingy eye? Like you don't want them to have it. And uh, if, you're out, if you're out there, if you surf out there, you know what a stink eye is. And it looks all cool and fun and everyone's getting all the waves they want. But believe me, there's a heck of a lot of competition and envy and jealousy and stink eye going on right now. The stingy eye. Are you envious? Have you become stingy because I'm so generous? Brennan Manning uh, wrote The Ragamuffin Gospel, a book that I highly recommend. It feels a little dated when you read it, but believe me, it's so good. So it's, it's a book I'm recommending today, and this is what he says. He says, our eyes reveal whether our souls are spacious or cramped, hospitable or critical, compassionate or judgmental. And this is really key. The way we see other people is usually the way we see ourselves. We project what we feel about ourselves and what we don't like about ourselves onto other people. If we've made peace with our flawed humanity and embrace our ragamuffin identity, we are able to tolerate in others what was previously unacceptable in ourselves. You know, the 8 a.m. workers and the 5 p.m. workers, they all worked in the same vineyard. And this could be a totally different sermon, but I just have to say it. We as followers of Jesus will be known by our love for one another. And in an increasingly polarized and divided world, we're seeing it come inside the church, inside the vineyard. And the workers are beginning to fight each other. And my friends, that's one of the highest priorities for us is to stay unified, to continue to love in spite of our differences. Okay, end of the sermon that could be preached. Now, as I bring this to a close, I'm just thinking about something that probably, it's not really intended in, in the focus of the parable, but it, it percolates up from the bottom, and we just have to pay attention to it. And I think this may be what Jesus wants 8 a.m. workers to know about 5 p.m. workers. He said, to the 5 p.m. people. What, why are you standing around all day doing nothing? I think that's significant. You've been doing nothing. In other words, there's no correlation between your work and pay. That, that's what Jesus, I think, is trying to get across, is that in the gospel, in the good news, in the invitation from the landowner... To each of us, 
the invitation and the pay at the end of the day is not dependent upon our work. And sometimes 8 a.m. people don't like that. In other words, Jesus is saying to each one of us, you're invited into the vineyard. The landowner is extravagantly ridiculous in his invitation into the vineyard. You are welcome here. What is required to get into the vineyard? Nothing except an invitation. And the invitation is ridiculous. It's ours. It's yours. You can receive what you did not work for. That's the good news of the gospel. There's nothing on the negative or positive side of your ledger that determines whether you're invited into the, into the vineyard. So we can let go of comparison and ranking and criticism and judging and feeling like we don't deserve to get into the vineyard. And you say, no, I'm too broken. You don't know what I've done. Well, you know what? I, I probably do. I mean, not you specifically. But having been a pastor for 40 years, I feel like I've seen it all. No, I'm too broken. No, you, no you're not. No, Jesus broke his body because you are broken, and so am I. You might say, I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. I have too many questions. Good. Questions are so good. Jesus loved questions, although normally when someone asked Jesus a question, he just turned it around and asked him another question. You're like, come on, just give me an answer. No, that's part of the journey with Jesus is to bring him all your questions and to enjoy the conversation. I'm, I'm too far gone. I'm not religious. And I would say, good. That's a really good starting point is to stop being religious. You may even say, I've spent my whole life working in the wrong vineyard. And Jesus says, that's okay. You're welcome here. You may not be an 8 a.m. worker, but you may feel like it's too late for me. It's too late. No, it's, it's never too late. Today, today is, it's not too late to accept the invitation. Philip Yancey calls this the scandalous mathematics of generosity. I love that. The gospel doesn't make any sense other than, thank you, Jesus. I receive it. I put my trust in you. The cross of Christ is your resume. That's it. And that's what it means to come to this table. It's your resume. I got nothing, Jesus, but I hear your invitation and I'm coming. I'll say yes. That's what it means to start a relationship with Jesus, is to say yes. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, I'll follow you. Yes, I'll let you make something of my life. Yes, Lord, I'll let you forgive everything in the past. And this isn't in the parable, but... I know how the story ends. I know the trajectory of the scriptures. And, you know, there was a creation, and everything was very, very good. And then really quickly, we just blew it all apart, separated from God. We all went our own way, and God didn't give up. 
He's relentlessly been creating a people. He created Israel. And you know what? We just kept trying. We kept messing it up, and so he sent Jesus. And Jesus did for us what we can't do for ourselves. But he's always creating a people, and that's what the church is, to live into that, that, that kingdom spirit, to be generous, to be forgiven. And the Bible points to, always points to the end of the story. The end of the story, I can picture the landowner says, hey, the workday's done, but notice I have this big long table in the vineyard. I'm throwing a party. I'm throwing a feast. And you, all you workers, you're, you're invited. Come, put on party clothes. Come to the feast. Come to the table. You know, that's how the story in the Bible ends. You find it in the book of Revelation. We are headed toward a feast we are headed toward a celebration, a party. We're, we're headed towards what's called the, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Where we will truly, truly celebrate in a way that you've never experienced it before. With no fear and no pain and no regret and no tears. And I know this table is a very, very small, insufficient hint at where we're headed, but that's what it's for. There was a, a theologian, University of Chicago, he said this, Christians ought to be celebrating constantly. We ought to be preoccupied with parties. We ought, we, I don't like the word ought, by the way. I would change it. I don't like ought. We ought to attract people to the church quite literally by the fun there is in being a Christian. You guys, we need, to, we need to change the narrative. We need to change the narrative of what's happening. And, and, and this, this is a foretaste. This points us toward an ultimate celebration. And I love the River Church because the River Church knows how to celebrate. We need to do it more I need to laugh more. I'm tired. I'm tired of being sorrowful and sad. I'll keep being sad, but I, I want to laugh more. Why? Because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if Jesus rose from the dead, all hope is mine. All hope is mine. There is nothing that can separate me from the love of God, which is in the risen Christ Jesus our Lord. James, come up. Will you, and lead us to the table, and Rachel, you come on up. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you so much. Can we just, thank you. Gosh, it's so good. So rich. So much in there, Bill, that, that we could reflect on. And um, what, what's sort of been impressing on me, I love that, that onomatopoeia, gongutson. Grumble. That's like the sound of culture war. The sound of entitlement. The sound of legalism. That sound of clean yourself up and then come to Jesus. And it's not a good sound. It's a really distasteful. It's like not enjoyable. And there's this other word, like other Greek word. Agaliazzo, agaliazzo. It means to rejoice. Agaliazzo. It's another onomatopoeia. Agaliazzo. Or how about this one? Hallelujah. That's another onomatopoeia. Hallelujah. These are the these are the 
ambient sounds, the playlist of the people of God. And I needed to hear that, Bill. I needed to hear that as an 8 a.m. worker myself. Gosh. So this, this is what we do. Like, those cups and those wafers, all right, they kind of have a little gangutsan vibe to them in terms of taste. And <laughs> some of that grape juice may have fermented. We don't know yet. But it's the larger reminder. It's that larger reminders if, th that we do celebrate, which is that crazy backwards kingdom math. Why do we celebrate? Because someone paid our tab and then left us with walking around money. Someone cleared it and gave us not just a second chance at life, but a second chance with full, true, eternal life. And so I just, I don't know, what I need to say is the second I want to get cynical, needlessly critical, I want to get into culture war, I want to let the headlines drive what I'm thinking, or social media, I want to say, have I agaliazzoed enough? Have I, have I fulfilled my rejoicing for the day and now I can get around to that good old-fashioned grumbling? And the truth is, you realize very quickly, once you start rejoicing, you don't want to go back to that. And I love what you said, Bill, and I pray that for you, brother. I, sounds very Christian. Call it, I pray that for you, brother. But I do. You are my brother. You're my big brother. And Bill, you have been through so much pain and hardship. And I pray for a, a season of just laughing and rejoicing. Because in the new heavens and new earth, you're not going to need a lot of practice with grumbling. You can get a PhD in grumbling. It's really not going to be useful for you there. But if you start all the prereqs of agaliazzo, of rejoicing, guess what? You will be using that day in, day out in the new heavens and new earth. All right. Sermon number two. All right. <laughs> Lord, thank you for this small, itty-bitty symbol of you giving, you, you solving the problem, you clearing our debt, you freeing us from our self-inflicted wounds and healing our bodies and giving us renewal. Thank you that we get to taste that this morning as a reminder that we are a people, a parade of rejoicing. We are a rowdy bunch of rejoicers. And grumbling is not our native language. It is not our heart language. It is a foreign language we can't, we can't allow to become fluent. We rejoice this morning in song, in silence, or in laughing. And as we remember you, in Jesus' name, amen. So as you would like to come and partake uh, in this symbolic moment of rejoicing, and we're going to worship a little more. And then the service ends. It's just kind of, that's it. And I want to pray you go about your week. Have a blast. Have a really great time because you have hope as the headline of your life. So let's do it. Amen. Why don't we stand as we worship together? As James said, take of the elements of the table as you wish in this time, after you worship, before you worship. All together, and we sing together, who the sun sets free is free indeed. <laughs> and who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God, yes, I 
sing, Who am I? Who am I that the highest King would welcome me? I was lost, but He brought me in all His love for me. Oh, His love for me, who the Son sets free, oh, is free. last he has ransomed me his grace runs deep and while I was a slave to sin Jesus died for me yes he died for me who the sun sets free oh is free I'm a child of God, yes I am, in my Father's house there's a place for me, and I'm a child of God, yes I am, sing I am chosen, I am chosen, not forsaken I am who you say I am you are for me you are for me not against me I am who you say I am I'm chosen I am chosen not forsaken I am who you say I am thank you God you are for me not against I am who you say I am, yes I am who you say I am, sing together, who the sun sets free, always free indeed, and I'm a child of God, yes I my father's house there's a place for me and I'm a child of God yes I am Amen Can we thank our God by singing praise one more time who the son Take up the elements, take your time. Also remember, second Sunday is going to be firing. There's some breakfast burritos in the back over there. If you're 20s or 30s, join us. God bless you.